0: Well, what a story we just read in Acts 27-28. As, as I said, a story of storms, of shipwrecks, of snake bites. A story of courage. A story of trusting in God. A story of faith. I wonder how we cope in times of crisis. How do we cope in times of chaos? How do we cope when things don't feel like they're going God's way? When things feel like this just is not what God intended for my life. When times feel like God's just not in control of what's happening around me. Times when we feel like hopeless despair. Where is it that we turn to in these times? Where is it that we seek our comfort, composure, courage perhaps? Where do we go? Well, tonight we're going to work through this story in Acts. And as we go through it, we're going to track along together to see where Paul goes to in times of crisis. Where Paul goes to in times of chaos. Where Paul goes to find his comfort, his composure, his courage. So, hopefully, you've got your Bibles back open at Acts 27. And I'm going to begin by putting it into a bit of context. So, if you've been with us the past few weeks as we go through our series in Acts, you'll know by now that Paul is very keen to get to Rome. Read in chapter 19, Paul said, After I've been to Jer- Jerusalem, I must visit Rome also. We've seen God promising Paul that he will reach Rome. Chapter 22 says, God says to Paul, Go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And in 23, God says, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. It's been clear that Paul wants to go to Rome. It's been clear that God wants Paul to go to Rome. That God's purpose for Paul is to go to Rome so that God can use him to advance his gospel there. And that has been the end goal of these past few chapters of Paul getting to Rome but if you have been with us you'd have noticed that it's not looked very likely that Paul ever would get to Rome you'd have noticed that Paul has been arrested he's been nearly beaten to death there's been two plots to kill him he's been nearly flogged he's been put in trial on jumped up charges he's been in prison for more than two years and he has to defend himself against his false charges to governors and to kings And the end result of that is that Paul could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar to go to Rome. So by the time we get to the start of our passage tonight in Acts 27, Paul and his companions, when they finally board that boat on the way to head to Rome, they must have breathed a great sigh of relief. Finally. After all that's happened, after all the death threats, the beatings, the trials, finally we're going to set sail to Rome just as God had promised. And you know what? Things start off rather well. A couple of days of nice sailing along the Mediterranean coast. Paul's been allowed to catch up with some friends at certain ports. And they've managed to find a ship that is bound for Italy. So far, so good. But then things start to go wrong. Winds start to really pick up. And progress is slowed down greatly. And eventually they're blown off course and find themselves passing great. And it says in 27 verse 8, they moved along the course with great difficulty. They just managed to make port at Fair Havens. But they've lost so much time that now winter is fast approaching. That's when it says uh, in verse 9 that the Day of Atonement was now past. This means that winter is about to come and nobody sails in winter. It is just too dangerous. So the wind is now against them and time is now against them. And this prompts Paul in verse 10 to try and persuade the men not to continue any further. He says, men, I see our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss. But how do the men respond to him? They ignore him and continue on anyway. And now things really start to go bad. A hurricane-force winds pick up and start to batter against the ship, which blows them completely off course. The storm gets so bad now that it's all hands on deck to save the ship and their lives. By the way, I was tempted to bring big wind machines here and waters and lightning going, but I didn't, so you're just going to have to use your imaginations Okay for this bit. Okay, imagine the scene. They're sailing on the Mediterranean course. A great hurricane-force winds are battering the ship's So they try and grab the lifeboat, secure the lifeboat on board, just. But the storm still rages on. So they pass ropes under the ship to try and hold it together. But still, the storm rages on. They lower the sea anchors to try and slow the ship down. But still, the storm rages on. They throw the cargo overboard. But still, the storm rages on. They then throw the ship's tackle. The rigging that they could do without. They threw that overboard to try and lighten the ship. But still, the storm rages on. The ship takes such a violent beating during this time. And still, this storm rages on. Until we get to verse 20. Look with me at verse 20. When it says, And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. It looks like God's purpose for Paul to get to Rome is about to be sunk with the ship. It looks like everything that Paul has been through to get to this point, it's all just going to end here. Paul is not going to get to Rome after all. God's plan has been thwarted. All hope has been lost. And I wonder if that's what some of us are feeling tonight. The sense of just all hope being lost. Feels like you're in darkness with no light appearing at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you feeling that just God's plan just is not working out. And you feel like giving up. You feel like walking away. Well, stay with me. <laughs> because it is in this hopeless despair that Paul suddenly finds some courage. When everything is lost, when this storm is raging on, and it looks like they're going to be smashed to smithereens and sunk to the bottom of the sea. Paul suddenly stands up in verse twenty-one. Let's look at what he says in twenty-seven, verse twenty-one. It says, after they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, "Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete; then you would spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage." Because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Keep your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Now imagine for a moment that you're a sailor on this ship. You've just lost all hope of ever being saved, and this prisoner stands up and says, Take courage, men, it's going to be okay. You'd have thought he was mad. You'd have thought you'd been drinking too much seawater by this point. Telling us to keep courage. By the way, the Greek word for this is euthymo, And it means to be in good spirits, to be cheerful, to be joyful, to be of good cheer. Now is not exactly the time to be of good cheer, is it? Tell us to take courage. Has he seen the situation we're in? Does he not realise how desperate things are? How hopeless our situation is right now? And he's telling us not one of us is going to be lost. Well, Paul does see the situation, but he has also seen something else. Let's continue on at verse 20, 23. Not one of you be lost, on the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Here we have an angel of God giving a word of God to Paul. And God's promise to Paul is once again repeated that he will reach Rome. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And this word, this promise of God's in a time of great need, becomes a source of great encouragement. With this word, Paul is no longer hopeless, but filled. Paul is no longer afraid, But is now courageous. And then he says in verse 25. So keep your courage men. For I have faith in God. That it will happen just as he had told me. Paul is courageous here because he has faith in God. Paul is courageous because he knows that God is faithful to his servants. Paul is courageous because he knows that if God says something is going to happen. It is going to happen. No amount of storms or shipwrecks are going to stop Paul, stop God, because God is in control. So in the face of a severe storm, in the face of hopeless despair, Paul is composed. And we see Paul's composure on how he behaves next. We continue our story with the sailors sensing that are getting close to land and they are coming in fast. It's dark. They're getting scared, they're getting desperate. You really get a sense of how desperate the situation is when you see him trying to abandon the ship and trying to escape on a lifeboat. But is Paul scared? Is Paul desperate? I don't think so. See, not only does he tell the centurion about the sailor's plot to escape through the lifeboat, and the centurion then orders that the ropes be cut and the lifeboat be lost, but he also urges the men to sit down and eat. Isn't that incredible? Look with me at verse 33. The lifeboat has just been cut away, just sailed away. and And just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he says, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now we urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. And after this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God, and in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. I don't know about you, but in the midst of a great storm, where you've just lost a lifeboat, you really think you're about to be shipwrecked against some unknown land, the last thing you want to do is sit down and have a meal. This is what we see Paul doing. He sits down and he eats and encourages them to eat as well. Why? Because he has faith. In God, that will happen just as how he said it will happen. He has courage in the promises of God that God will see that through. And clearly, Paul's courage is starting to win over the sailors. Because they have now gone from ignoring Paul to being encouraged by Paul. In verse 20, uh, 36, they were all encouraged and ate some food together. By the way, this word encouraged is also the same word uh, for courage, it's the exact same Greek word. So Paul's encouraged, and now the sailors are now encouraged. And when daylight comes, they see some land coming. A nice sandy beach for them to land on. So they think, right, let's go head there. We'll try and steer the ship into there, and hopefully we'll land safely. Good plan. Let's go for it. But what happens? Bang! They hit some sandbanks along the way. And the ship starts to get smashed to smithereens by the pounding of the surf. The ship is now destroyed, just as God said it would. And then suddenly panic breaks out. The soldiers are fearful that the prisoners are going to escape, so they decide to kill all the prisoners. Uh, Back in those days, if the Romans let prisoners escape, then the soldiers themselves would face the consequence that the prisoners were going to face. The the soldiers are afraid of this, so they try and kill the prisoners. But centurion, Centurion steps in and orders everyone to swim to land. And in verse 44 we read, In this way, everyone, all 276 of them, reached the land safely, just as God had said. Promise fulfilled. (sighs) And now we can breathe a sigh of relief. They're off the ship, they're safe, they're on this nice island called Malta. Good, things are over now, are they? Well, no, there's another twist in our tale. Because as soon as Paul reaches land, as soon as he survived the storm, the shipwreck, and another plot to kill him, Paul goes to collect some firewood. And what should happen then? But he's then bitten by a snake in verse 3. Now, if I was Paul, I think my reaction would be, Oh, come on! I've survived a storm. I've survived a ship I've got all these men behind me. I've encouraged them to come here. We've landed safely and now a snake bites me in the hand. Come on, give me a break. And it's clear from the reaction of the locals that this is no some mild snake. This is a poisonous, venomous snake. They're all sitting about waiting for Paul to drop dead. But what does Paul do? Well, he's not me. So he doesn't go, oh, come on. said, all well, he does. Verse 5, shakes it off like Taylor Swift. He shakes it off. <laughs> he shakes it off into the fire, and that's it. And just carries on with his work. Shakes it off and carries on. And you can tell this is very unusual because the locals, waiting for Paul to drop dead, see there's no ill effects, and now think he must be a god in that case. But see, Paul has learned through the shipwrecks, through the shipwreck alone, that God is faithful to his servants. And things will happen just as God has said. And if God had told Paul he's going to get to Rome, then Paul is going to get to Rome. No snake bites now can stop him from doing that. He is going to reach Rome. And then, lo and behold, about three months or so later, after they've spent winter in Malta and sailed on, verse 14, we come to it, and so we came to Rome, just as God had said. Promise fulfilled. Another sigh of relief. God has protected servants through storms, shipwrecks, and snake bites. God has sustained Paul through trials, beatings, death threats, and against all the odds, despite all human opposition, despite all natural opposition. Here is Paul in Rome ready to testify to Caesar, ready to further advance the gospel. Just as God had said. So that is the end of our story me, here in Paul in Acts. Sorry, this blockbuster movie. You can see it be made into a movie, can you? Pretty sure it has, no doubt. And now you expect the credits to start rolling? Well, not quite, because I saw another section to come in Acts. You're going to have to come back next week to see that. And also because, well, this isn't a movie. This is a real-life eyewitness account of actual events. If you just skim through this text, you will see details that Luke, who wrote this, puts in the, the story. From place names, to the precise number on board, to even the figurehead on the last ship, all these show to us that this is an eyewitness account of real events. And it's recorded for us in God's Word, the Bible, so that we can learn from it in the 21st century Edinburgh. See, it teaches us who God is and how we should live our lives as His people. So, my question to us tonight is this Like Paul, do we live by faith, trusting that things will happen just as God says? Do we live by faith, trusting that things will happen just as God says? Well, maybe tonight you're not a Christian. Maybe tonight you don't belong to this God you've been talking about. Maybe you don't serve this God to whom we are speaking of. Well, hopefully tonight you would have caught a glimpse of God's great power, of how nothing can stand in His way, that God is sovereign, and in control over all creation. And maybe you'd become to get to an understanding that this powerful God is a God that should be feared. Luke also says in his other book, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 12, he says, I tell you, friends, to not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body's been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Well, if you're not a Christian, can I encourage you to speak to me tonight? Or speak to the person who invited you along tonight. Ask them, why is it do you belong to this God? Why do you serve this God? Why do you have faith in this God? Because I can tell you that God is a powerful God. But he's also a gracious God. And just like he saved 276 people on board that ship, he can save you too. God's promise is that all who turn to Jesus and repent of their sins, turn away from their sins, will be saved. That is God's promise. So, what about for those of us who do belong to God, who do serve Him? I say at the start, where do you go to to find your courage, your composure when things get tough, when things are in crisis, when it's in chaos, when things seem hopeless, and you struggle to see how this is a part of God's plan? Where do you turn to? Well, can I encourage you, like Paul, to turn to God? Turn to God's word and look at his promises in there. Turn to perhaps Psalm 34. It's a great psalm. Turn to perhaps Psalm 121. I'll let you read that in your own time. A good place to start. Because no matter what comes our way, no matter what storms we face in life, God will fulfill his promises. Nothing can get in the way of that. Nothing can stop that. Not human opposition, nor natural opposition. So do not be afraid. Take courage. God fulfills his promises. Have faith in God to whom we belong to and serve. Now does this mean that we're going to survive shipwrecks, storms, snake bites? No. No it doesn't. We live in a fallen world. And we are going to face hard times. We are going to face times of crisis. We are going to face times of chaos. We are going to face times of these hopeless despairs if we're not already facing them. God's promise is, that not, is not that we're going to live an easy, prosperous life. No, far from it. <laughs> As Christians, we're going to face hard times precisely because we are Christians. Just look in the news this week of Dan Walker, the BBC uh, sports presenter, who's faced a hard time before his beliefs when he's been announced, he's going to take over as a, the morning breakfast show, I think. But God's promise to us is not that we're going to survive storms, shipwrecks, snake bites. God's promise is that He is faithful to us and that He will sustain us. Psalm 54 says this Surely God is my help, the Lord is the one who sustains me. Whether that is sustaining us, by rescuing us from life-threatening situations. Or by giving us the ability to persevere in suffering. Or even providing the courage to face death. As many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world currently do. God's promise that we need not be afraid because he will strengthen us and help us. Isaiah 41 verse 10. God says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's promise is that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate us from him. Listen to what Paul himself says in Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So do not be afraid. Take courage. God fulfills his promises. Have faith in God to whom we belong and serve. And I think this should also spur us on in our evangelism. If you look at the entire book of Acts... You can see this theme running through it of God fulfilling His prophecies, of God fulfilling His promises, of things happening just as God has said. If you remember, we're right back to the start of our series, to right back to chapter one, what who did we have in chapter one? A hundred and twenty believers sitting in one room in Jerusalem. hundred and twenty people in one room in Jerusalem. Now, as we reach the end of Acts, what do we have? Thousands of believers. Scattered throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now towards the ends of the earth. You Notice know, with me that Paul is not going to Rome to be the first missionary in Rome. Paul is not going to be the first person to preach the gospel in Rome. Actually, there's already a church here, uh, Chapter uh, 28, verse 15, uh, implies that there's already churches in Rome. There's brothers and sisters there ready to greet him. The gospel's arrived in Rome. So Christianity has spread from 120 believers in one room in one city to thousands of believers scattered throughout the Roman Empire. All in what? 20 to 30 years? Now that is nothing short of a miracle. That is nothing short of God's work. And that's exactly what the entire book of Acts has been about. How through God's people, the gospel is spread throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as this gospel spreads, lives have been dramatically changed. People have gone from being condemned to justified, from being without hope to being filled with hope, from being dead to raised to everlasting life. And now we, at Short Chapel, get to continue in this work. We get to continue this mission. We are now called to be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth. We are called to go and make disciples. And just like Paul and Peter and Luke witness this great transformation of life, so too can we see people go from being condemned to justified, without hope, to filled with hope, from death to life. And as we do so, we do so in the same hope, same knowledge, the same promise that Paul had, that God will fulfill his promises. No human opposition, no natural opposition can stop this. So do not be afraid. Take courage. If you are with us this morning, you would hear Paul take us to Colossians and tell us not necessarily to stand off of a bus proclaiming the gospel, but to proclaim the gospel in a reaction sort of way. To be ready to give an account for how we live our lives. So when people ask us questions, we can see what it is we believe in and why we live our lives that way. And we can do that in this knowledge. That God is with us. God sustains us. God strengthens us. God helps us. God has said so, so therefore it is so. God is in control. God protects his servants. And God's purposes are and will be fulfilled. If God says that 276 people are going to be saved... 276 people are going to be saved on that ship. If God says Paul is going to reach Rome, Paul is going to reach Rome. If God says that he will sustain us, God will sustain us. If God says that he will strengthen us and help us, God will strengthen us and help us. And if God says that nothing can ever separate us from Christ, nothing can separate us from Christ. Charlotte Chapel, be encouraged. Do not be afraid. Take courage. Have faith in the God. To whom we belong to and serve. Amen. Let's take a.